Well, this morning, we all got that. This morning, we're talking about the unexpected path to happiness. Any of you, how many of you would like, would prefer to be happy to not being happy? Okay, good. Just making sure. How many of you think that, this is not a trick question, how many of you think God wants you to be happy? Yes, I just want to make that clear at the beginning. God wants you to be happy. And there are a lot of ways we could get all religious and technical about the difference between joy and happiness. And, you know, it's been said that joy is based on God and happiness is based on happenings. But there is a deep desire in all of us to have joy and to be happy. And that is a, a God-given thing. In Romans 14, 17, we're told that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's been said that one-third of the kingdom of God is joy. All right, that's pretty important. Now, you know, also like the Beatitudes, the most, one of those famous passages in the Bible is all about, you know, blessed are the, but literally you could translate that, happy are the, happy are the poor in spirit, happy are the pure in heart. God's, he made us, he desired us to be fulfilled emotionally. Now that doesn't mean that every moment we're going to feel that way, and it definitely doesn't mean that the path to happiness is the one that we naturally expect. Have you ever noticed how what you think will make you happy bombs? When you're putting your hope on, man, if I just go on vacation. This is my family. You know, we, I, I love the vacation. And this last summer, we went on vacation, and I was like halfway through, I was like, you know, this isn't all it cracked up to be. I don't know. It's just not doing it for me this year. Sometimes we put our hope in something. It's like, that's going to make me happy. And the thing that we expect to bring us happiness falls short. It's often experienced around holidays, you know, Christmas. You're like, oh, man, yeah, the high hopes. And then it falls short. Um, we think maybe getting more money will make us more happy. And a lot of us would be happy to experiment with that. But... <laughs> You know, the, it's crazy that we, that doesn't actually produce the happiness that we're looking for. We think maybe getting into a certain group of friends, like if I just was accepted, if I was just in the popular group, well, you know, most of you saw Mean Girls, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't always work. Like the acceptance with that group of people, it doesn't lead the way you, you want it to go. Maybe going to college, getting married. Yeah, some of you are married No, wow, that... Sometimes I'm very unhappy. <laughs> this, is not, this is not just what I imagined it would be all the, every day. Um, certainly we could look at alcohol or drugs as, you know, this, this promise of like, that's going to make me feel better. But then what it actually produces is not that. It's interesting that some of the most depressed people in the world are the wealthiest people. And one reason for that is when you, when you haven't yet gotten all the money you need or think you need, you still, you have hope that, well, if I just had that, then I would be happy. And so the hope kind of propels you along. Hope's very powerful. But when you get what you thought would make you happy, and you're not, man, that is a major crisis. That is, okay, well, what is there? I, this, everything that I thought would fulfill me didn't. So oftentimes, you know, the wealthiest people are oftentimes the most some of the most depressed. It's interesting that in the surveys of happiness of different cultures and nations, that many of the wealthier nations, including the United States of America, 
are not anywhere near the top of the happiest nations. There's things that we, we think will lead to happiness don't, but yet we still try. We still try to put our energy and our life into these, these avenues. Another thing, I don't know if you've noticed, but oftentimes happiness intersects our lives at unexpected times. I think about this past week, like the times where I just felt kind of unexpectedly happy or happy, it was unexpected. And it was one day I didn't feel like going for a run at all, but I went for a run. And afterwards, it's like, man, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, I think about, there weren't a lot of these, but a couple times where I was, there were a lot of times where I was distracted and my kids were vying for my attention and really needed my attention, but I didn't really want to give my full attention to them. And, but there were a couple times where I, I did sort of give my full attention to them or <laughs> better percentage of it. And even though I felt like, man, I don't have time for this. I got other things to do. And then I did, it's like, Okay, there was actually a, a happiness, a joy that showed up in that, in that time. And so happiness, it's, it hits us. It's unexpected a lot of times. The things we expect to produce it don't, and then it shows up other times. A lot of times we, we think that getting everything we want is the missing link to make us happy. But in actuality, this is kind of our, our thesis, our main idea today. The key to happiness is not in seeking what we want, but it's in saying yes to what God wants. And especially it's, it's saying yes to what God wants over what we want. Especially when it's scary or painful. That's this unexpected path to happiness, which it doesn't feel at all that way. It's like, man, God, this is, this is not where I want to go. But here's God saying, hey, this is what I want for you. When we say yes to that, especially when it's scary, especially when it's painful, it leads us into this place of what we're, what we're really looking for. And we're going to look at this, this path. And the one who blazed this path for us, the one who blazed every good path for us is Jesus. Jesus, as, as a man, he lived this path out. We look in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're told, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, look at this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. A lot of him did not want to go to the cross. In fact, the night before he was the night he was heading that way, he was in agony. His soul was in agony so much so that he, he sweated blood out of his forehead knowing the agony that was ahead of him and the brutality of, of the cross and the physical torment of that and the emotional torment of that and even more beyond what we could ever fathom, taking on the sin and the brokenness of the world. As, you know, like, you know, as he, he chose that, but as a human, as a man, there was a lot of resistance in him. 
That was not what his, his soul naturally wanted. A lot of what his, his, his soul naturally wanted. There was, there was so much pain involved. There was so much agony involved. But why did he do it? Well, there are numerous reasons, but the reason it says here is because he saw there was a greater joy on the other side. He saw that if I go through this, it's going to be worth it. There's going to be a joy that awaits me on the other side of the cross. And it says, for that joy, that joy of, of seeing the world redeemed, of seeing people saved, of seeing the world begin to be renewed, of seeing the world restored, and people becoming who they were meant to be, and Him coming in to becoming, becoming the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And all that entailed, He's like, wow, that is going to be so good. Although this is very, very hard, there's a joy awaiting me on the other side. The unexpected path to happiness is through the cross. And Jesus blazed that, blazed that path for us. And um, that's, that's the path for him and it's the path for us. We will look at, this, look at another scripture. Turn to Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 21. This is before Jesus um, went to the cross as he was, he was teaching and doing miracles and doing his ministry. But at this time, he was with just his, his core disciples it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. It's just, yeah, that's the appropriate response. When someone rebukes Jesus, that should draw a chuckle. But Peter began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. There's so many oxymorons in that phrase. God forbid it, Lord. <laughs> I just like, but you're Lord, but I'm telling you, don't do it. But anyway, it's distracting me. Um, but Jesus says, hey, I'm going to have to suffer. And, but then I'll be raised. But Peter, it's like he didn't see the part. He couldn't hear the part about, hey, I'm going to be raised up. He heard, wait, you're going to suffer and die? No, 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 no. That's not the path of this glorious Messiah that I'm following. He's going to bring victory and hope and joy and all this good stuff. No, that's, that, that can't be the path. And so Peter had the same response, like, no, 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 no. Same response we would have. Don't let it be. May it not be. May it not be for you. And certainly don't let it be for me. I don't want that to be the case. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Wow, that's a pretty big slam right there. All right, you can call people a lot of names. But Jesus called Peter Satan. Get behind me, Satan. I don't know if you should try that with your friends, but I don't know. Maybe look for your, pick, your, pick your moments. Get behind me, Satan. Why did he say that? You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Wow, there it is. Whose interest is it going to be, God's or man's? And Jesus equated choosing man's interest with the agenda and the plan of Satan. It's interesting that one of the mantras of a lot of satanic cults is do what thou will. Mm -hmm. Do what thou will. Do what thou will. That's the essence of Satanism. That's the essence of Satan's agenda. Is that's what he did. He didn't want to submit to God's place and God's will. He wanted to do what he willed, what he wanted. 
And that is the, the attraction, the temptation to all of us. I want to do what I want. I want to seek my will. And Jesus put his finger right on that. He's like, hey, that's, that's Satan. Get behind me. You're not setting your mind on God's agenda, but man's. And then Jesus basically doubles down. And it says, he was saying to them all, where I just, and uh, this is the Luke account of the same conversation, Luke 9, 23. He was saying to them all, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If anyone, anyone wants to follow me, they should join a church. They should pray a prayer. They should do nice things. No, this is what he said. If you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Let's just clarify. What is, what's the cross? Because I think, you know, this is kind of where our eyes glaze over. We've maybe heard this before. It's like, okay, yeah, take up your cross. Jesus went to the cross. The cross, but it's, the cross is not just a nice piece of jewelry. It's not just a religious symbol. But when Jesus said that, that was the instrument of execution and torture. That would be like, you know, hanging a hangman's noose around your neck or the electric chair around your neck, except that's not nearly painful enough. It's way too quick. It was when Jesus said, take up your cross. That was, that's what you did to people who were losers. That's what you did to criminals. That was a place of ultimate shame and torture and pain was the cross. And Jesus said, hey, if you want to come after me, take up your cross. And the cross, what does that represent? Basically, the cross is what I've been saying. It's choosing God's will. Here's our definition. Choosing God's will over our own will, even though it's scary, painful, and fatal. Give the Lord a shout. <laughs> Isn't this encouraging? Man, so great. Choosing God's will over your own will, even though it's scary, painful, and fatal. Yeah, because it's scary, it hurts, and when you, you say yes to God's will, a part of you dies. It's a part of you that something, a part of your soul is denied and dies. And that you, you, you lose part of yourself. It results in death. It kills part of you. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But first he wants to kill you. <laughs> and then he wants to do it again and again and again and again. Daily. I mean, this is wild. This is not, not going to like sell a lot of infomercials on late night TV or anything. This is, like, get, this is not the norm for like self-help books. This is totally contrary to what is naturally appealing to us. Why? How? First, how could you do that at all? How could you do that more than once? I guess he says daily. This is the lifestyle of someone who follows him. And then the question, why? Right? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? And the answer, again, it's not just to be like a masochist. Like, I like pain. I like death. No, it's because there's a greater reward. It's because this is the path to real happiness. This is the path to something better that God has for our life. Saying yes to him 
and no to our own agenda and our own desires. It is for the joy set before us that we can walk this path. Jesus, he explains this. He, he goes on and says, next verse, Luke 9, 24, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, this is the one who will save it. Okay, I got something better for you, but you got to let go of the old in order to come into it. Some of you have heard the, the analogy, the story. There's a, there's a trap that's used in, in, in some places in the world where to catch a monkey, you put the bait inside a cage. And the monkey reaches in and grabs the food, but it can't pull its fist out. And then you come and you grab the monkey because it won't let go of that thing that's actually entrapping them. And that's how our agendas are. That's how sin is. Is we like so much want to hold on to what we want, our agenda, that it ends up trapping us. And God is like, hey, just let go of that. I want you to be free. I have something better for you. So it's, you must lose, you gotta lose our, our agenda to come into the better thing that God has for us. There's so much, this is just so, I'm just thinking about how opposite this is of our, all the messages we're surrounded with. I played the game of life with my daughter, Angie, this week, and I don't like that game for a lot of reasons. <laughs> it takes too long to set up. It doesn't fit in the box unless you take all those dumb little buildings off the board. You gotta take it apart afterwards. But if the whole premise of the game is what? The more money you have at the end, you win. Like, success in life equals money. And, like, and like so much, all the games, like video games, you know, it's all like, hey, you, you get to the place where you want to get and you take everyone else out in the process. There's, you know, we need, like, there's no, like, board game called Lose Your Life. There's no board game where it's like, hey, you gave your money away. You have 10,000 points now. Or you gave your time and surrendered, gave up your career in order to do something better that would help others. 50,000 points. You took a bullet for someone. No, there's no, like, that game. I, maybe they should make a video game like that about, like, you win by, by helping others. Maybe it would help more women play video games. I don't know. But it's like, there's just all the, the stuff around us. Like, it's the messages, it's like, you know, get what you want, and that is winning. And Jesus' message is the opposite of that. But, man, it's, it's when we find life is when we say yes to Jesus and let his higher priorities become ours. Um, what's my note that I wrote sideways? Oh, yeah, okay. Can't read my own handwriting. Um, you know, what's true is we really can't trust our own perceptions about what will lead to happiness. We're really bad at figuring out what will make us happy. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You know, so often, you know, if we look at our lives like, Oh, that, yeah, I've experienced that. I thought that would be, that was, seemed right to me. But where it led was the way of death. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate 
For wide is the gate, and broad the way leading to destruction. And many are those entering through it. The way leading to destruction, man, it's wide and broad and easy, and it looks great. It's downhill. It's like, wow, so appealing. But as you follow it, it leads to destruction. But narrow, for small is the gate, and narrow the way leading to life. And few are those finding it. So the way of life, it's a narrow gate, but it leads to life as you follow it. And there's a, there's a good picture here that shows that. There's the way of our natural self, all our agenda. It starts off easy and fun and like, wow, you're getting what I want. But the longer you go down that path, it actually gets harder and harder and harder and leads to death. And so hopefully we come to this place of the cross and say, okay, Lord, I need a Savior. I need you to give me a new start. And we come through his cross. And then we take up our cross, which is this narrow gate. It's the narrow gate of the cross. And it is hard at first. There are a lot, there's a lot about it that goes against the grain. It's not what we want. It's painful. But the longer you follow it, the more we put his agenda over ours. And it gets easier and easier, and it leads to life. That is the counterintuitive path that leads to happiness. So that's, you know, to experience life, we've got to die to our, our self-centered interest, to putting what we want over, over everything, over what God wants. I think sometimes, or I, I know sometimes, a lot of times that involves letting go of just, letting go of things, letting go of sinful habits, letting go of sinful desires. It's saying no to certain things. It's um, what's, what's called sins of commission. Things that we do, it's, it's letting go of the things that we do that are sinful. But there's also the other side of it, it's, it's saying yes to things that we're afraid of. It's saying yes to things that we avoid. It's what's called sins of omission. The things that God leads us to, but we just would rather ignore that. And it's easier to get away with it because we're not doing something bad. But it's like, the cross may not be like, hey, you need to stop drinking too much. But the cross may be, hey, you need to invest your time in people more. Or, hey, you need to stop being a coward and speak up when your knees are shaking and everything around you is saying one thing. But there's truth needs to be said. And God's saying, yeah, I, I want someone to speak up for me this situation man that's for me that's a tougher cross that that's harder for me to go through that door than than letting go of things but all that it's it's dying to our agenda it's dying to our fears and coming into the greater thing that god has for us um yeah this helping anybody i trust i'm sure it is um i know this applies to us in many different ways i just want to quickly hit on Three cross avoidance schemes that are very common in our culture today, in our lives today. Three ways that we avoid the cross. And they're a little, they're tricky, they're shifty. These are schemes. These are like, they, they're, they're, they're sneaky. First scheme I want to talk about is the, the cross avoidance scheme of so-called empathy. Empathy with quotation marks. Now, I'm not saying don't have compassion, don't care for people, but there is this, this lie that's so prevalent in our culture today that my problem 
is that I don't love myself enough. If only I really, like, cared about myself more, then that, that would fix me. I need, to, I need to love myself more. And then it translates to other people to, hey, I need to be empathetic to others. And that means I need to accept them as they are and never challenge them. I need to just embrace. I need to be inclusive and embrace everything. And, you know, love everybody by just embracing where they're at. Um, you know, we, we do need love. Don't get me. We need God's love. But the Bible never uses this language of, oh, I need to love myself more. Or it never uses the language of, I need to forgive myself. That's just not biblical language. We need to receive God's love. We need to receive God's forgiveness. But there's this, this narcissism of like, oh, if I just like got more, if I just got more, then that would solve my problems. And it's, it's, a, it's a sneaky trap that avoids, avoids the cross, which says, well, actually, no, my sin's the problem here. And I need, I need a savior. I need God. Um, we may need to be less empathetic towards others as well in the sense of like just embracing and not speaking up, not challenging where people are living. You've probably heard the, the phrase, the, 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 the highway to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, so often empathy is like human empathy like feels good, but it's that path that leads to destruction. It never crosses us. It never crosses other people. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Wow, we live in a culture where there are a lot of kisses that are actually the kisses of an enemy. It's embracing us and our current status without addressing the things that really need to change, without bringing us to a place of, man, I know I need to repent of that and to come into the better life that God has for me. Faithful the wounds of a friend. We need to have those kind of friends in our life, and we need to be those kind of friends to others. So the first cross-avoiding scheme is empathy. The second cross-avoiding scheme is idolizing acceptance and relationships. Idolizing acceptance and relationships. You know, people, relationships are so important. Loving people is so important. But it becomes a problem when we value the opinions of others or the acceptance of others more than we value the acceptance and opinions of God. And when we're unwilling to speak up or go against the grain because of how people are going to respond to that. And the cross says, no, be courageous. Die to those fears and be willing to be rejected. Be willing to not be understood. Be willing to not be in that social circle. That may be the path. That is part of the path that we have to follow, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Proverbs 29.5 says, The fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap to be afraid of people. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Literally, that word exalted means he who trusts in the Lord will be inaccessibly high. You're like the bear up in the tree that the... That the predator can't get at, the other animal can't get at because he can't climb. It's like, hey, you're, you're beyond that. When, you're, when we're trusting in God and not fearing the approval of other people, then we're, we're, we're above that. 
So again, you know, it's interesting. Right after Jesus said, if you want to find your life, lose it. The very next thing he said in Luke 9.26, he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and his holy angels. So wow, what does it look like to take up our cross and lose our life and find it? It means to not be ashamed of Jesus. To, to, to choose the approval of him. And man, that is so, like, that brings happiness. You read the stories of people who literally died for their faith, like they're being burned at the stake and hung so often they're... There's this joy that comes upon them as they are like, man, I am boldly speaking of who Jesus is. And in this moment, there's this joy. They're like, man, I am above death. There is a life of God that I have found that cannot be taken away because I've been willing to go through that cross of not idolizing the approval and acceptance of other people. The third one, the third cross-avoiding scheme I want to talk about, we've got a lot more. But the third one that's very common I want to hit on is rounding corners. Rounding corners. That's the, just kind of the moral relativism and the compromising and the, like, just, well, I don't really need to, like, do that. I can kind of soften it a little bit. Or, you know, this is, it's okay. It's okay. There was a... um, Nationally known pastor, Andy Stanley, who's been in the news a lot lately for this. And he just had a conference that was about the issue of, of homosexuality and what's the church's response to people with same-sex attraction. And he basically said, hey, this is what he, he said, hey, we, I fully embrace the ethic of the New Testament. And... We believe in our church. We believe that what the Bible teaches about sexuality. And we believe that sex is for one man and one woman in marriage. So that's, that's all good. But when you start like pressing a little bit, there were a lot of corners that were rounded. Because like, why, why did he say the New Testament? And he's, he's made it clear in recent years that he's actually believes there's a separation between the God of that the Old Testament is not applied to us. And this, it's this attempt to have a kinder, gentler Jesus and to somehow like filter out the moral expectations of God. And at this conference, there were, there were two people who were presenters who were in same-sex marriages. And when Andy Stanley was asked, like, okay, why, why are they there? He said, well, it's because it's helpful to hear from people that deal with same-sex attraction. And I'm, I'm like, I'm with you so far. And these are people that have dealt with that, but they've kept their faith. They haven't thrown out their faith. It's like, well, define faith. Like they still believe in God, in God, but they have reworked God to fit their lifestyle instead of conforming their life to God's moral command and what he says for us. That's, that's not a real faith. That's not the Bible. Faith is in, integrally connected with believing loyalty. And believing him means following him. And so, but there's this rounding of corners. And I'm not trying to pick on, on, on him or that. But we do, it's so easy for us to do the same thing. And we, we so easily round the corners and soften things. And the cross doesn't have any soft corners. It's sharp edges. And it's the place where we die to that stuff. And we have to, to come through into the happiness and the greater life that God has for us. So that can yeah, look like moral compromises. That can look like um, never speaking up. That can look like 
softening the blow, trying to soften the blow instead of really going through that death into the freedom that God has for us. All right, so what about us? What's our response to these words of Jesus? Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you want to save your life, lose it. Lose your life to find it. You know, um, I just got to say this. I've, I've been noticing recently in my own life, in the lives of other people too, how, how easily we deceive ourselves. And how easy we can like hear, hear these words of Jesus and be like, that's good. I like that. I agree with that. But then not actually apply it to our life in the places where, it, where we need to apply it to our life. Where it's like, okay, yes, I want to take up my cross and follow Jesus. And then an opportunity is presented to us. Like, hey, would you follow Jesus into this? And the answer we so easily come up with is like, well, I can't do that because I have plans already. I can't do that because I, I, it, would cost, it would cost me something. And I can't do that because it would be inconvenient. So it's, just, it's, it's really just scary. It's just, it's laughable. We should really, like, <laughs> but it's not. But we're so good at like, oh yeah, I want to take up my cross and follow Jesus. Well, maybe rearrange your schedule a little bit. Oh, no, 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 I can't do that. We're just like, we got to look like, what are, what are the crosses? What are the actual things? Like, what does it look like? That means like when choices are presented before us, like, will I do this? It's not, it's putting all those things before God. And I'm not, it's, and that may be the thing that is where God is leading you. But if we're like grasping onto it, then there's something out of whack. But if it's like, God, I want to do what you want. Lord, where, whatever you want, whatever it costs me. Whatever, if I need to change my major, change my job, lose my job, change my schedule, rearrange, that's what it looks like to take up our cross. Yeah. And that's the only way, to, like, to, these disciples, like, they lived an awesome life. Like, they, they traveled the world, they saw things change, they saw lives change, they were in the thick of God, what God was doing, and they had so much happiness and joy. It was incredible. They, then they also, most of them died for their faith, too. And then they came into an even greater reward and joy. But that is like, that's the kind of lifestyle that God, God invites us to. And so we got to look at like, what are the things that I'm like, oh, I can't because it's inconvenient. Or I can't because I got to rearrange things or it costs me something. Okay, those may be the places for us to look at. And then the question for us is just, and this, is a, this, is a, this is a happy question. How happy am I? Or, you know, it's supposed to be a happy question because God, could you stand to have more happiness? Could you stand to have more joy? I mean, I sure could. I mean, there's, there's, I'm not at the capacity of how much happiness I want. And so that is like the promise that Jesus is like, this isn't just to like beat us up, but it's like, man, I have more. There is a life of freedom. There is a life of joy. Today, this week, that I'm inviting you into, there is an unexpected path to happiness that I'm inviting you into. And if you could just see, like, God wants to give us a vision of that. I just believe this morning, God wants you to give a vision. He wants to give you a vision in your own mind of, this is what my life could look like. 
This is, this is the, the joy that I can live with day in and day out. Man, I'm, I could use more of that. I want more of that. And so, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to, to go through that cross, to pick God's agenda over mine, because there's something more that he has for us. I just want to um, hand it over to Nick here in a minute, who's going to lead us in communion. Um, I just want to go back to the, the last, um, the end of what Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 9. Again, it says, He was saying to them all, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, this is the one who will save it. I believe God has more for each of us than we can imagine. There are some painful parts in that process, but to see through to the other side, there is more joy for us than we can imagine as we lose our life and find what he's got for us. So Nick, why don't you go ahead and come on up and move forward.